Welcome to the very first episode of the Acid Makes Coffee Better podcast. I'm your host, Drew Dennehy, and with me today, I have Jorge Castro of Immaculata Coffee Farms. Welcome. Thank you for being here. Hello, Drew. Nice to meet you, and finally being with you guys here. It has been a pleasure to work with three. So today, we're going to be discussing Immaculata Coffee Farms, what it takes to farm in Colombia, and also what it takes to produce competition lots. And right at the end, we're going to have a special surprise to our listeners, so make sure you stay tuned. So do you want to just give us a brief breakdown of yourself, what you do at Inmaculada, and then the farms as a whole? I'm Jorge Castro, I'm the production and sales director of Inmaculada Coffee Farms. I have been in the coffee industry for five years. All of my experiences has been in Inmaculada. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, I carry out income cost and analysis of the Mahula operations to see how we can optimize the rentability of the project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think, so your main thing is to make sure that you're like the link between the roasters who buy the coffee and the people at the farm who are making sure that the quality is good, but also that you have enough volume to meet the contracts to your roasters each year. Would that be exactly. fair to say? Exactly. Cool. Uh, mainly... Uh, talking about quality, quality control, we got that quality control director, she's a copper, but I gather all the data and cross it with inventories to offer to the customers. Mm-hmm. Cool. And I think Inmaculada is one of the more famous coffee farms in the world, uh, particularly because of some of the varietals and species that you grow there. Could you just take us through what those species varietals are? Um, and then we can look at how that processed, what variety requires what process and how they taste. Okay. In the, in the production scene, we got five farms that add up to 34 hectares of planted area. Uh, the range of altitude is between 1,700 and 2,000 meters above sea level. Uh, in this area, we got planted Geisha, Suan Rume, Laurina, and Eugenoides. But also we are testing another varieties so we can see how the market can perform because you know, in the agro agro business, in the coffee business, when you plant coffee, you have to, at least in our altitudes and climate conditions, wait at least three three years to have a good production. And then you have to do some tests to see which process suits the most those varieties. So we started in 2010, Immaculada. I started on Immaculada myself in 2018. So the project has been from around 11 to 12 years in the specialty seen uh, the project started only with five hectares in one farm and the quality of all of those four varieties I just mentioned was that good that good that the, the owners decided to expand then in 2015 the, our area expanded from five hectares to 34 hectares of laurinas one Rome, geisha and Eugenoides. and the last last year we introduced this new project fellow farms because we got two different uh, things that happened. First one, the production decreased due to weather conditions. Uh, and also we got uh, an objective of dignifying more the, the business for in the coffee producer scene. Mm-hmm. So you, yeah, so you have your, your fellows program, which is basically you taking cherries from those two different departments and then processing those cherries in an immaculata style. And then you have your own farms, which you're having those four varietals. We've got the Laurina, Sudan Rume, Geisha, and Eugenoides. And was, was, to come back to those varietals, was there a reason why you planted just those varietals? Did you experiment with any other exotic varietals beforehand? Did those work? Did those not work? Actually, the idea was to doing to do things differently. Mm-hmm. Back in the days, this specialty coffee scene was not that big, so it was just a trial to see which how the varieties can develop. That's why the trial started in 5.2 hectares, but all of the coffee profiles were being so good that we just add up to 34 hectares. Okay. And do you find that those varietals require specific, or do they do they suit a specific climate meters above sea level to get the best out of them? Or? 
uh, let's say that in this range of, of altitude that we are, that is uh, between 1,700 and 2,000 meters of sea level, quality-wise, it's very consistent and very high. Uh, as, as you go up, the weather is more cold, humid, and more rainy, so productions are getting lower and it's uh, riskier to plant coffee even in the early in the early phases where the coffee is a baby plant it can die of frostbite so we have seen that the top lots the high highest uh, elevation are the ones that yes provide a better cup but the difference is really small in perception but actually the altitude generates a better cup score on each of the varieties. Mm -hmm. And so coming back to that point on agro-farming for Inmaculata, why is that important for your farms and for the ultimate cup profile longevity of your, your brand and farms? It's more of methodological part of the, of the business or ethical values because we have to take care of the soil and of the land and not to destroy your soil in the long term. So if you are adding more organic material to the, to the soil year by year. The coffee, let's say the nutrition of the coffee can be better and the coffee health also can, can improve. Uh, talking about cup score, uh, we don't got the numerical way of proof that, that it's getting better. Mm -hmm. But there's one thing that is uh, tricky to handle when you do agroforestry concepts, that is the level of shade that you provide to the to your coffee trees. Mm. And what is the way up there? So you? exactly that, that it's really difficult to measure. There are ways to measure, but but you know at this altitude the sunlight per day is less. So you don't need that much shade. But so you have to control a lot depending depending on the season. If for example it's a rainy season and a humid season, you have to prune your cover trees and if you know that the El Niño is coming uh, uh, the next year or something, you can let the trees get more shade. So it's uh, more costly mm -hmm. and it's a, a bit tricky, but it, it actually provides better cover to your soil and also organic matter. Mm. And just to sort of, just for the listeners, what is shade doing for a coffee plant? So coffee plant needs sunlight to do the photosynthetical part. But if, if they get too much sunlight, they will abort a lot of uh, the, the coffee production. So the shade, what it does is generating the space to do it like in a balanced way, but also it's covering your soil. And long term, your coffee trees can, su can survive. Right. Okay. And so to come back to those varietals, have you found that they require a specific type of fermentation to get the best cup profile for each of the different varietals? Yeah, that's you have certain recipes? Really interesting question because each of the variety follow a different path of sensorial uh, notes and, and cup qualities. And depending on the process, you can develop, and I, I will not say develop because you don't develop flavors, you, you are showing what the earth and the terroir is giving, but in different ways. So when you manage to get the best process out of a coffee, is that you are showing the best that the coffee can genetically express. So what we seek, uh, all we have seek uh, at least the last five years, is to try which process is better for each variety. For example, Laurina and Eugenoides, that are varieties that go the not that much level of bricks, maybe even from 12 to 13, the, the length of the fermentation has been longer in the test uh, with lower temperatures and it has developed better cup flavors and cup scores. And now with uh, in the natural anaerobic we are doing to Laurina and Eugenoides, where well, Eugenoides is scoring from 90 to 92 and the Laurina is getting up to 87 for a Laurina with all of the characteristics of, of this uh, variety is a really interesting cup score. Uh, for geisha, we have found that the best expression that we can get is plain natural, because if you do anaerobic fermentation on the geisha, you will lose some hints that you want to express about the geisha. All of these, jasmine, 
all of these elegant notes that with the anaerobic fermentation, it will transform more into a fruity notes. Uh, and in, in the Sauvignon Rume, you want to express these fruity notes. So the best way of expressing this, the fruity notes is the same with the Castillo and the, with Pink Bourbon. Those are varieties with high bricks. You do a natural anaerobic with low temperature. And you, uh, I mean, this is all of the results we have gathered with a lot of tests that we have made in the different paths, like natural, washed or honey and different type of, uh, let's say, hybrids between them. But the best with the Sudan Rome, Bourbon, Pink Bourbon, and the Castillo is a natural anaerobic, low temperature, it can enhance, enhance the body, enhance the flavor of the coffee, and more into the tropical and converge those flavors into determined flavors. But the, the trick, or let's say like the, the clue is not letting over-fermented coffees, because it will get into vinegarish or to licorice cacao notes. Mm -hmm. There's the what you're tasting predominantly in the cup would be the process and not necessarily the varietal at that stage. Exactly, mm. yeah, absolutely. The, the objective is to show the genetic of the variety mm -hmm. in the best way possible. So we are, we are just doing uh, what is in our hands possible to show the best genetic terroir of each variety. Mm -hmm. And so for the geisha, you want that just classic natural profile. Why is, like, what is the classic geisha profile in the cup for you? Our, our Geisha Natural cup is more into pineapple, like say sugar cane juice, jasmine, raw sugar. Um, and if you go anaerobic, you will lose the jasmine and the pineapple and maybe transform it more into, I mean, acidity will be there, more body will be enhanced, but you will transform it more into a tropicalish, let's say strawberry, blackberry flavors. But we want to show this pineapple, jasmine, citrix, and raw sugar in the cup. Got it. I mean, I think that's that's also quite a philosophical approach to producing coffee because some people would hear that and be like, okay, jasmine, like lemongrass, more like lighter kind of notes. And then they hear, okay, well, I'm going to get a really fruity geisha from an anaerobic natural. Some people in some markets would perhaps prefer that to the, the classic profile of a geisha. Um, but it's, it's interesting to hear that producers want to they want to, or Inmaculada wants to present the world their geisha with minimal process coming into the cup, right? And changing what that, that varietal and terroir express. Yeah, actually that's uh, very important because some customers and some markets, they want to do some tailor-made or made-to-measure-made processes. And we are open to do it, but in our bread and butter and bread and butter things or operational way of doing the things, we are expressing the best of how we have seen the cup profile and scores on each variety. Mm. But we are not closed. I mean, we open the doors of different types of processing when there are customers that want uh, to see what happens if you go to a like station, like, like you guys, for example. Fantastic. So stay tuned. We're going to be getting some natural plus anaerobic natural. Um, cool. So I think that's a great introduction to what who you are, who Immaculata is, and I think we're going to take a break now and do what's in the cup. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. Cool. So we're going to have a coffee brewed. We're going to get you to just blind cup that and give some sensory notes, and then we'll try and figure out what is in the cup. Okay. Sound good? Let's go. Let's do it. So, Jorge, my friend, we're going to say what's in the cup. I'd like you to just maybe smell that coffee. Okay. And it's good and bad, hit it. So the idea is that I try to guess. You don't have to guess, just just tell us. Like, what are you picking up? Are you picking up, like, rubber? Are you picking up jasmine? Are you picking up <laughs> no, no rubber. No rubber at all. I think I'm feeling a lot of caramels and sweet notes. A bit of uh, liquor notes, but not bad liquor notes. So you can feel it's uh, maybe a natural anaerobic. Um, also some floral notes, you can pick some hints of floral. Mm, let's try it. Yeah, rock and roll. Let's try it in flavor. I can feel like some melon, strawberry. Definitely strawberry, yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. Big caramelly, kind of sugar browning notes coming in. You can feel the hints of floral, but it's not that expressive mm -hmm. over there. 
I like it. What is it? Based on based on your experience, based on how that tastes, and and the, and the kind of varietals and process that create those notes, what would you kind of guess that is? Let's say it's an exotic varietal for sure. Yeah, you can you can feel that there's exotic variety because in the aftertaste, you don't get this, let's say, a bit of astringency that sometimes the caffeine levels of, of, of the other common varieties gets you. So I would think it's a natural anaerobic geisha, um, but it's actually interesting because the, the body is still medium, like some natural coffees on geisha that uh, I have tried, so yeah. So you'd say maybe it's like a, a slightly shorter fermentation than a longer one? <laughs> that's, that's actually tricky to know because it depends also on the temperature. Mm. I would say it's definitely definitely a short one, mm-hmm. or a cold mid. Gotcha. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. got it. Yeah. Okay. So that coffee is a Colombian geisha, six day anaerobic natural. That's Pretty six, good. Six days actually a really nice length mm-hmm. when you are in the in certain levels of temperature. Mm-hmm. It's a really interesting coffee. Really, really, I really like it. Okay. Well, one point to you, Jorge. You smashed what's in the cup. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Um, so we were just talking about the total production of Inmaculada uh, and how many sort of kilos or kilos per hectare that you guys are producing on your four farms. Could you just sort of talk us through that? Yeah, actually in a, in a good year, let's talk about that the weather conditions are okay. Mm-hmm. Not that much rain and the humidity. Immaculada can get up to 15 to 16, 17 tons of green per year. Our actual distribution of area is 40% Geisha, 30% Suan Rome, and the other percentage is split by Eugenoides and Laurina, but Eugenoides we only got 1.4 hectares. So the kilograms per hectare of each of these varieties is very different between them. Um, being, being the lowest one, the Laurina, Laurina can produce at least uh, 2,500 kilograms per hectare of cherry. That's super interesting because everyone says Eugenoides has a low yield, but... Eugenoides is low yielding too, but it's but not that Laurina is low even as the Laurina, exactly. Laurina is a, a really hard variety because the Roja, all the leaf rust, it hits Laurina really hard. So you have to constantly do nutrition on the plant because you have to live with the leaf rust. I think people that they are in the specialty exotic varieties, planting scene, they, they have to know that the leaf rust is a, a thing you have to live with and control it. It's about its nature. Um, Eugenoides can get from 2,500 to, to 3,000 kilograms per hectare. I'm talking about the a good and optimal condition when all the weather is good and you are like, the age of the coffee is maybe from three years to eight years. Um, and you are doing the pruning in- You mean the age of the coffee plant? Yeah. The plant, yeah. the coffee trees. And you are doing the, the pruning in an organized way and renewing your tissue. Geisha, it's more into 3,500 to 4,000 kilograms per hectare in cherry. And Suan Rome can go to 4,500 to at least 6,000 kilograms per hectare in cherry. That's like, let's say, an optimal production. Now we are working towards balancing the areas of, of how the market is reacting and demanding the coffee. So we want to get um, 30% of Genoides, 30% Geisha, 30% Suan Rome, and 10% Laurina. A small amount of Laurina, we are decreasing the amount we got planted in Laurina because uh, customers are not willing to pay the cost of uh, planting a Laurina and the cost of opportunity of planting other varieties such as Eugenoides or Roman Geisha is Super high. so high. Yeah. The sensory profile, you're talking about the sensory profile of a Laurina and a Eugenoides when that process is washed, they, they were like what, cupping at what? Oh yeah, it has been a... Uh, On average. 
let's say a, a constant process but when when we when I started the Immaculada 2018 I remember we got some stock of uh, eugenoides and Laurina washed eugenoides was scoring around 82 uh, it was very herby you can you can feel the sweetness in the cup but it's, it was like a sweet herbal tea mm. that was it and the Laurina was very low body lacking a lot of uh, shiny notes but copying uh, more like 83, 83, 84, more or less. Mm. And now they're much higher than that. Yeah, you've got like 90 to 92. Mm -hmm. um, the processing has enhanced a lot the, the, the expression of the genetic of the of the variety of the species in this case of the genoides. And in the laurina, we can get until up to 87. Mm. Laurina downside is the body. It's a very lo low body. So, and you, you enhance a bit by the processing, but it's still low body and let's say it's a low caffeine, so the flavors are not that strong as other varieties. Even you have to place it in the copying table, the Laurina may be first, right. first of the spots. Because the, the, the natural sensory profile isn't as intense as the other coffees, right? Exactly. So it, it needs someone to like really focus on the nuance of what that coffee can deliver. Exactly. I think I think the opportunity of Laurina is when actually consumers want to get a decaf natural natural coffee, mm. they will go for the Laurina. But now nowadays, what we we have seen is that if customers just want a decaf coffee, they can get whatever other coffee because they don't want you know these profiles. It's just to wake up without the caffeine. It's actually they are not uh, reviewing the sensorial part, but maybe if in a certain point, the customer base knowledge goes into even the varieties and the genetics of the coffee. They just can ask for a Laurina, uh, for example, and I do the similarity with the wine process. They can just ask for different type of grapes because they like that for a certain reason. So maybe in the future we can get into that point, but for sure nowadays is not, we have not get it, get on that point, but um, we got 10% of our, our area, our 34 hectares, and we want to keep in Laurina because there are some customers that have been working with us and they want to showcase the Laurina. Also, we should not close the door of offering this different varietal that is actually a whole different profile. Mm -hmm. So, I always like to talk about why exotic varietals are so expensive, because I think it's an important conversation that our industry needs to be having um, to sort of educate our consumer bases and why they're paying more for certain coffees. Could you give us like a, a little indication on like how much is a hectare going to produce with a Sudan Romain Geisha versus let's say uh, Katwai Katura planted at like a similar or lower altitude? Like what, what, are, you, what are you really weighing up there yeah, as indeed. a farmer? Actually, the level of altitude, it means that your production will be a bit lower, but when you do a versus on our exotic varietals versus what is a Castillo Caturra, or mainly Castillo because that's a main Colombian variety, Castillo in that type of altitude, they, it can get with good weather condition from 15,000 to 18,000 kilograms per hectare of cherry. Cherry, yeah. And what does that mean in terms of green bean? That will mean at least... Five one point eight to two point five tons of green mm -hmm. out per year. Yeah, yeah, something like that. You do like in Castillo, the yield is maybe thirteen percent of, of of what is in cherry to to green coffee, transforming to green coffee. And in these varieties, you are getting even let's say half of it, or even lower in the case of Regenoides, Laurina, mm -hmm. and Geishas. Mm -hmm. So also you are getting the costs of having a shade, a, a way of planting, agroforestry, shade trees, different, uh, actually you have to handle other crops that are your shade trees and the leguminous that are, uh, they add nitrogen to the soil. It's another plant we, we are planting with the coffee. And on top of that, you got the issue that they are sensible with the diseases, more sensible than the common varieties that they have been genetically driven for kilograms per hectare. More susceptible to those diseases. Uh, exotics are more yeah. susceptible, for sure. Um, Castillo, for example, is very tolerant for leaf rust. Mm -hmm. And that was the main reason that the FNC promoted 
Cuscatura is susceptible. And, and yeah, it's, so you have to handle another cost. And also when you want to enhance your understanding about the, the, your coffee business or your coffee plantation, you have to have a more lengthy supply chain. So you have to have your wet meal, fermentation, drying with all the numbers, quality controls, quality control is sensorial analysis and also physical analysis. And we got also milling process in-house, we got a miller. So that means that you are adding more cost in the supply chain or more cost per kilogram produced. And in that way you can review what is happening. You can go back in the numbers, you can see in which things you can get better and fix it. So you can get better year by year. That's why you are improving the quality, that's because you are constantly reviewing your numbers, reviewing the days of drying, reviewing the length of fermentation, the temperature, the bricks, everything, so you can actually take some decisions based in numbers and change different things of the process, so actually that costs, and that's why exotic varieties are more costly than common varieties. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so I think before we get into the competition stuff, let's take a look at... So we'll step away from those exotic varieties and take a look at the fellows program that you guys are doing now. Um, can you explain a little bit about what that is, how it differs from your Immaculata farms and what, what is it doing for the industry? We are doing this because we can dignify more the quality of life of the farmers and we can also take advantage of our installed capacity. So if you've got an installed capacity of processing X amount of kilo per day, we measure it by day with the length of fermentation and everything, we've got actually a capacity of processing from 3,000 to 4,500 kilograms of cherry per day. That's maybe around 500 kilograms of green per, per day. Mm. So it's actually an interesting capacity. So when your farm doesn't, doesn't fulfill those needs, you, you put coffee of different producers and that you are paying more and you can process it. Mm. Uh, just, just before we, could you just explain exactly what the Fellows Program is for, for, oh, okay, the, yeah. uh, for the listeners? Fe yeah. Fellows Farms Program is a cherry sourcing program that started uh, last year in March or 2022. And it's starting reviewing what we could do with Castillo variety because Cauca department is the nearest department that we got in big scale of production of coffee. So we start to review what we can do with the Castillo in different pathways, uh, honey, wash, hybrid process, also how can we pay better to the, to the producers uh, depending on the quality that they are picking. So in that way, we, were, we have been educating the farmers on how, how they can pick better and the why. We invite them to Immaculada and they can cope and they can see. And in this way, Immaculada also can apport their know-how. So you got benefits for the farmers and you also up do some adding processes to the coffee. Which benefits are for the farmers? You lower the cost of transport because we put the truck every day into the place. You lower the cost of wet meal because we buy cherry, of drying, and, you, and we put the cash flow daily. And we do a bonus depending on the state of ripeness that is between 15% and 25% of the market price transforming this into cherry cost. Uh, so they can focus more into the agro business, into the agricultural business, and they have an all supply chain, part of the supply chain. And actually there's a lot of farmers that have been manually sorting the coffee now, explaining to the pickers how to pick, floating the coffee before, and the floaters and the underripes, overripes, they are getting to the FNC or to the cooperatives because actually they pay the same price or the, or the same way of paying and they got better bonuses with the, main, the, the good state of ripeness cherries with us. Uh, so how we pay? We divide the coffee in ABC, the coffee that we receive uh, of each producer, A being the optimal state of ripeness, B being the underripe overripe and C being the floaters and greens. So we pay differently ABC and at the end the, the difference of the FNC price put in cherry less what we the ABC pricing will be the bonification. So that's how we do it and we do our bonification or added value 
weekly, mm -hmm. but the cash flow goes directly every day with the FNC price. Mm -hmm. And just can you just clarify, the FNC is? It's, uh, FNC is the local price that is actually affected by Arabica uh, market stock market price mm -hmm. and the bonus plus the bonus of the that people are willing to pay for a Colombian coffee. Right. So you've got the the C price basically, uh -huh. and then you've got the Colombian differential. Exactly. And then you've and got you your differential for quality on top. Well, they in the in the FNC price they subtract the logistics uh, price and the taxes. And then you got the the bonus plus the bonus. So that bonus it adds from fifteen percent to twenty five percent depending on the on the state of ripeness they are picking. And at the end, the producer that stay working with Immaculada producers are the ones that actually can and value also these type of methods because if not, it's too much of a headache for them. And also this type of methods is very interesting because it removes intermediaries. Because if there's a guy that is cherry sourcing and then he's selling to Immaculada, he has, he has to be in charge of explaining everything to the, to the farmers and that's not the case. So you go directly and that's why it removes a lot of intermediaries. Mm -hmm. And so for the fellows program, it's only Castillo or there's some other varietals that come into that as well? Yeah, actually we started this year, uh, three months ago, with Willa, with Willa department, uh, mainly with Pink Bourbon. We started the Fellows Exotics program, so we can source exotic varietals and do tests, do some trials on which process suits best for the variety, express more the, the, the genetic of the variety. And we started with Pink Bourbon. We are doing, now we are offering Pink Bourbon in the Fellows Farms Exotic, and we are doing trials of a papayo strike bourbon and SL28 that you can find it in the Willa department. In the Willa department, we are working with 20 hectares of a family uh, in, in Willa. Okay, cool. And uh, we'll be getting some of these coming this way very soon. So stay tuned. We'd love to try some of those very soon. Um, all right, well, I think before we jump into competition stuff, Let's do another what's in my cup. Okay. Yeah? Uh, this coffee's gonna be a completely different origin. Uh, let's brew that and see if Jorge passes test number two. Let's go for Rock it. Rock and roll. Like How does that smell? Let's, uh, let's go through smell. Inside, I'm sure pick a bunch there. Hmm. Super tropical punch. I think I find stone fruits, red fruits <laughs> too. A little bit in aromas. A little bit boozy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some like sugar browning. Mm. Definitely stone fruity. It got some, you know, I think it's an African, maybe, because usually African or Yemen, because usually I will go more into Africans, because usually they smell really tropical, like tropical punch, yummy, and when you go to the flavor you don't find exactly what you, you got it's a bit in, muddled in, uh, exactly yeah. but you find a lot of black tea mm -hmm. so I think maybe it's an African and that muddledness like that's interesting why that happens right because a lot of those coffees are just from like from mm. so many different places potentially so many different varietals especially if it's Ethiopian I would say it's a washed Ethiopian washed Ethiopian with some fermentation in washed or oh, like an anaerobic washed yeah or something like that okay do you want to know what it is? Yeah. Okay. It is a newly launched Yemen. Oh. So it's close to what you said before. Yeah. Kind of that like dried fruit, a little bit maybe tropical, stone fruit. <laughs> stone fruit, yeah, yeah, yeah. Controversial answer question. Colombian versus Panamanian geisha. Different. Super different. different. Talk to me. Yeah. Uh... Well, I can talk about the Immaculada Geisha, but I find that all of our Geishas are different. Our Geishas are more into honey-like flavors, like let's say, like a honey tea with lemon. It's super sweet because of the natural process. The, heavy, the body is a bit more into medium than light. But in Panama, 
you usually find more lemongrassy green flavors and more jasmine and white notes of the flowers more pronounced mm -hmm. so it's if it, it's different both of the coffees are beautiful both of the coffees are really nice when they are like in this 89 90 bracket but it just depends what what you want to have out of the cup mm -hmm. uh, what you enjoy if you enjoy more the sweetness or if you enjoy more the powerful notes it's gotcha diplomatic answer <laughs> yeah. so let's move to competitions um, and I think it's really interesting talking about what is the difference so obviously you have within all your farms you have your family reserve you have your signature which is kind of like your most premium versions of all those varietals in terms of sensory qualities and then sometimes you can pick a competition lot like that was used for the competitions last year and the year previous um, can you just talk us through that process of what makes something signature versus the subset co competition level? Yeah, I will say it depends on the need of the, of the customer. For example, when a customer is looking, we divide our brackets in scores. So family service is more into 86, 87 ish score and signature is 89, 90. That can be a coffee suit for competition, but when customers need a competition lot, we can go for a smaller amount and a smaller storage keep unit or SKU. How, how it works, for example, if a, if a customer wants, uh, let's say, 240 kilograms of Kesha, that's uh, 10 boxes of 24 kg, uh, we will just review the inventory that we have cut per SKU. And the SKUs that are in the same profile, in the uh, scoring, we just add it up in small scale. We try it, if the coffee is still the score it is, we mill it, pack it, um, before packing we homogenize the coffee, pack, vacuum pack it, ship it, but when a customer wants uh, competition lots, we go the SKU by SKU, which is the notes. Or just the clarify, SKU here it just means a specific lot that was harvested within a certain yeah, date actually, and processed within exactly. as a similar lot, correct? Actually the SKU is, storage keep unit is the unit or the consecutive for example, that you pick that day, one certain uh, picking date. So for example, today they picked in the farm 100 kilos of cherry of geisha. 100 kilos of cherry of geisha will be around uh, 12 or 13 kilograms of green. It not, it's not fulfilling the 240 kilograms of what the customer is asking for. Actually, 240 kilograms of coffee, they cannot suit in a bed, in a drying bed. So you have to have several drying beds. So you have to cop SKU by SKU, like each singular one, and see which one are the ones that get the same profile, same score, and add it up to get the 240. Obviously you have to do it first in a small scale. Actually, if, if the coffee is performing well the same, Okay, we mill it, we pack it, and we ship it. Homogenize it first. But when you want a competition lot, you go review, uh, the inventory is reviewed SKU by SKU. That, that means the minimum quantity that you have in your inventory is reviewed one by one. It's usually reviewed in that way, but when it's a competition lot, you just take that SKU, mill it, sort it by hand, and ship it. Why by hand? Because to have a 00 or 05 uh, defect uh, rate equivalent of, of the first group 0 and 0 second group or 5 tolerance, max tolerance, uh, usually there's no machines that does that and also when it's a small amount, um, their service providers will not do that small amount, they will do more than 100 kilos. So we just mill it and review it. Uh, sorted by hand and ship it to the customer and before we review each one of the notes and the flavors of the profiles and which coffee is more complex and suits more the needs of the competitor. That's why also the farmer has to understand how the competitions are, what they are looking for or what the competitor is looking for, also how what we can offer to the competitor. For example, if he wants to go for barista competition but he wants a super sweet coffee with a really silky body. We will not go for geisha. We will offer some Sudan Romain 
pink bourbon or as you know it is or a mix of those three three coffees you can just review the mix mm-hmm. of it so so yeah that's how it works we got the most singular storage key unit that you got an inventory and that one you mill it you just hand sort it and you ship it mm-hmm. the reason i asked that question is because sometimes i think it's natural for someone in the coffee industry to make the logical leap that the Sudan Rame being used in the World Barista Finals is the same cup that I've bought from a roaster somewhere around the world. And that's not necessarily true because there are potentially differences in qualities between those two or three or whatever lots. Yeah, talking about the variety is true. It's because the expression of the variety depends on the terroir, the altitude and the processing too. Mm. So each origin of Sudan Rome will be different at each altitude or even in the same altitude if they are processed in a different way wet meal drying process it will be different mm. so maybe you can have hints of certain notes when it's awashed uh, the same than a geisha so you can try to guess it's a geisha but the expressions and cop score is really different between the the producers and the processes mm. got it Okay, so I think it's time for the perhaps the most uh, contentious question of the podcast. Um, infusion, you were, we were talking before, Colombia, Colombian coffees, there is a massive amount of coffee. You can get many different varietals, processing methods, sensory profiles, and there seems to be a bit of a, a trend of people using different fermentation techniques to let's say let's say that infused or semi-infused coffees how do you personally feel about this trend about these coffees and how should they be labeled should they be labeled should they be allowed in competitions oh well, that's a really sensible and interesting question uh, as a team macula ethical values are always show it's, I mean, what we want to do is always show what the terroir and genetic of the variety have to show to the, to the customers, uh, natural flavors. So what we think about infusions and infused coffees, uh, we see it as an added flavors. So as long as there's market for that, there can be farms or people to, that process that or yeast anaerobics or infusions microbiological or synthesized flavors it's okay as long as they tell the truth Mm. because you know that's an added flavor so if you are adding something in the fermentation in the tank in the drying you should state it can you yeah on that point could you just clarify what is an infused coffee or a semi-infused coffee well it's a actually it's a very difficult question because now they try to to englobe uh, the infusions and the added flavors in culturing. So, culturing. Yeah. Okay. For me, culturing is more when you do a microbiology, microbiological process that adapts, that adds flavor, maybe some uh, yeast, uh, and there, there's also chemical synthesized infusion that there are some flavors put it into the tank fermentation tank for drying process uh, so either in both ways or how they name it or state it or whatever they are added flavors so if you add some flavors or if you add something into the process you have to be ethical and transparent to the consumer and tell him um, so that's why we think about infusions. Uh, it's okay for the market if the market buys the infused coffees, buy, but the producer have to be very ethical and transparent about what they are, why what they are doing with the coffee, because if not, they will confuse the customer base, and the customer base that they don't know what is an infusion because the producer don't want to tell it's an infusion, they will think that flavor is a naturally grown flavor of the coffees. Mm-hmm. and they will seek for that so it will create a confusion that is actually affecting specialty producers mostly in exotic varieties because they are seek- there are some customer base seeking for those type of coffees 
on those flavors uh, because they think it's a natural growing flavor and it's an exploration of the variety. So as long as people are transparent, it's okay. Uh, about the if they should or not use it in competitions, where well, I think uh, that as long it should not be used because it's an added flavor. So you are using an added flavor coffee to compete with. Uh, or if they want to do competition of those type of coffees, they should separate the added flavors. Um, I always do the examples, uh, the, the type of example like a, a weightlifter or a cyclist, when they inject some substances to get better uh, at, the, at the sport. It's not fair with the other competitors. Yeah. So I would say it's the similitude of that. Mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, models or whatever getting plastic surgery or something there's a there's a hierarchy of values within that system of beauty or whether it's performance and we are using something which is not natural to gain a higher score within that hierarchy right exactly so as long as they find a way they they find a way to get or prove that the coffee is infused i think there's a space for Tricking, so so producers can trick some of them, the consumers, or even the judges, or whatever sensorial, human mm -hmm. aspect. So yeah, that's actually that's how we think about it. Mm -hmm. So there's you know, like there's some pro like producers are producing coffees now that are kind of like straddle the line between is this infused or is this natural, right? It's like not so obvious, but it's so. The coffee tastes so good potentially that it you can't really tell what's going on. Exactly. Right. I think I tried first infused coffees maybe three years ago or four years ago. And the level of infusion they have dropped a lot the, the, the expression of the flavor, but you can still feel something is around. So but it's you, creating yeah, like more confusion. But professionals can maybe tell, right? But to the, to the regular yeah. consumer base, they're gonna be like yeah. And so, just to clarify again, why is that bad? Actually, actually, that's that's the important part of the discussion because the coffee, when when you infuse coffees, you are not dignifying or when, produ when producers infuse coffees because we don't do it on Immaculada, they are not dignifying the business of the producer or the or the guy who is planting the coffee. So they they are not showing the work that they have done in the field that actually is let's say the most relative part because there are some variables that cannot be controlled and it's a struggle when you have to plant coffee. So they are using the coffee as a vehicle to put some flavors, not as a product itself. So actually that's the bad part. They should express the coffee as a product itself, not as a vehicle to put certain flavor and to show that flavor. If they are doing that, they should state that and that's uh, ethical and responsible. That's how we think on, on Immaculada yeah, team. All of the team members actually, they, they think the same. So, because the, those are ethical values of the company and anybody who wants to work on a company have to be okay with the ethical values and have to follow them. Mm. Yeah, and I think it, if you look at what specialty coffee is, most of what we see the pinnacle of of our movement of this this industry is the exotic varietal part of this, right? Because they are the ones that exhibit the high scores on that flavor spectrum. And these coffees have the potential, if the consumer isn't educated, to erode that quality system, right? Because they're, they're, they're so easily, they, they have the potential to outscore the real coffees within that system and that and that is going to detract from the actual value that has been created because then people are going to be like well i can get a coffee that tastes better in inverted commas than your sidra or geisha or whatever for a third of the price so why am i going to buy you you know that's for me that's the that's the issue exactly that those are i think that's an economical issue, you know, there's a, like an ethical issue, a dignity issue, and then you got the economical issue. Uh, economical issue for sure is the, is, is the one that they are using cheaper cost of production coffees 
for in that way to infuse so for sure they can charge less than the half of, of the price mm. of a exotic variety that it has been struggled in the in the production so it also affects the, the, the producer it's exotic specialty coffee producer in the economical aspect and in the market as, as I mean when they don't state that it's infused coffee mm. okay well uh, I think we're coming towards the end of the podcast and I thank you very much again for your time and sharing your knowledge with us and the people who are listening at home in their cars wherever they happen to be okay, so well, thank you much for Three coffee and also Drew, thank you very much. Before we finish, there is one last thing that I would love for you to do. We are going to give the listeners at home a question. And the person who answers that question the best on Instagram and YouTube is going to get a special prize from us. So I'm just wondering, could you come up with a question based on our conversation, based on what you've talked about at the farm? Okay. A question about coffee that could have a multitude of interesting answers. Yeah, I, will, I would say the question is, I would put a, a question regarding the price. Okay. So why does the exotic varietals for the customer, for that customer are, high, are highest in price or the price value, the sales value is higher than other type of coffees? Mm-hmm. So that will be the question. Okay, so just to clarify, why are Geisha Sudan, Ramez, all of these types of exotic varietals, why are they more expensive? More yeah? expensive, exactly. Cool. In sales value. So you listeners, get posting, get thinking, and get writing. And we're done. That is the end of today's Acid Makes Coffee Better podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. For those of you listening at home, join us on YouTube, Instagram, Spotify, and all of those listening platforms. If you want to try some of Jorge and Immaculata team's coffees, you can find them on our website. And again, thank you. Thank you very much.